begin with a quote from the great Zen teacher Dogen, who said, those who see worldly life as an obstacle to dharma see no dharma in everyday actions. Those who see worldly life as an obstacle to dharma see no dharma in everyday actions. They have not yet discovered that there are no everyday actions outside of dharma. And I, I love that quote from Dogen because that wasn't like two weeks ago he said that, but you know, a number of hundred years ago that he said it, talking about the same question that we work with was, and that Nina pointed at, how do we make our whole life practice? How do we make this practice, even listening right now practice, or speaking, or acting, or not acting, whatever it might be. And so the teaching that the Buddha offered that we've been exploring and looking at and studying and contemplating is the Eightfold Noble Path. And the Eightfold Path is um, um, what he taught from the beginning of his teaching and then for the next 40-some years he continued to teach the Eightfold Path when people wanted to know how to wake up. What does it take to wake up? Or what, what supports the awakening process for us as human beings? And so, and the Eightfold Path is um, characterized by eight different factors called right view, or sometimes it's translated as right understanding. And then the second one's right intention and then right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then the next three are right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And so these are the components of human life, he said, pay attention to these parts of your experience. Because as, you, um, as you contemplate them, as you start to uh, um, allow them to manifest as part of your life, whether it's the view you have or the intention you have, or the way you speak, or the way you act, or the way you support yourself, or the way you, um, the kind of effort you make to collect yourself, and then uh, be mindful and compose, concentrate oneself. This is what leads to awakening, and then the manifestation of awakening in daily life. And so this is what, again, supports realization and expresses realization, the Eightfold Path. And we've been talking about many of the different factors of the path, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, and tonight we're talking about right livelihood. <clears throat> and livelihood uh, is generally thought of as a means for securing the necessities of life or what's needed. And livelihood itself is about a means of support or sustenance. Um, and it has to do with work. So how many people here, here work? Just let me see. How many people? How many people have worked 
you know, you know, most of their life, like as adults, right? Okay, so this is this is a key part of our life as humans in this time and place in this culture. And it's a big deal in this culture. A lot of people, a lot of times, we're defined by our work, what role we have, and what status our work holds in the greater culture that we call America. And I always, I always like to look up words. And uh, so I looked up the word work to see well, what did it mean. And it's about physical or mental effort towards a goal or accomplishment. And then I like to look up where words come from to kind of see what, what, what's the essence of the word and the taste of the word. And it comes, I believe it was from the German Verg, Verg. and, and um, the word Verg meant to do. So work is about doing, right, to do. And what I really appreciated was I looked up what words were related to Verg, and, and there were three words I found that caught my attention. Rot, W-R-O-U-G-H-T, rot, meaning it's not just steady, it's rot. It, you know, it could be rot with fun, or rot, rot with difficulty, it's not just one thing, rot. And then it, it's also related to the word liturgy, which I thought, oh, that's so cool. Verg, work, and liturgy come from the same place, right? And then I found another, there was one more word that also caught my attention, which was orgy, right? And you know, if you've been to an orgy, it can be work, but, but, um, but what I found interesting was that orgy originally meant secret rites or worship. An orgy was a secret rite or worship. And I thought, oh, that's a beautiful correlation for us with, with work, because work is a secret rite or a way to worship or to, or to embody our practice as Buddhists. And that's really how I'm tying it together um, with Verg being the source of um, orgy and work. That there's something, there's a possibility of being a secret monk or nun when you're working and letting the Dharma express itself in places where the Dharma is not really being um, sought after. But if you become the Dharma, you become an expression of the Dharma. <clears throat> and of course, when I've been talking about right speech, right action, right livelihood, which all has to do with, um, each has to do with ethics or morality, or my favorite word is virtue, virtue, to be virtuous in the world. And, and to be virtuous means to sustain ourselves in, a, in terms of work, to sustain ourselves in a virtuous way or in a way that doesn't cause harm. Right? And it also has to do with how do we give ourselves to the world because part of virtue is generosity, is dana. 
it's the same thread that we were talking about a minute ago in terms of dana or generosity. And so one of the questions which I have for all of you to consider is how do you give yourself to your work, whatever your work is? How do you give the best of yourself at your work, whatever your work might be? Whether you like your work or don't like your work, how do you give the best of what you can offer somewhere? Because that's where you are. And that's part of the living of the Dharma wherever we are. And I like what Suzuki Roshi said about when you do something. He said, he said, when you do something, you should burn yourself up completely. How's that for a good Dharma teaching? When you do something, you should burn yourself up completely like a good bonfire, leaving no trace of yourself. Now that's, a, that's, a, that's, you know, maybe the best teaching you're going to get tonight. So stick with that for a minute, even if you don't like it or don't know what it means, because he's really pointing at how do we give ourselves fully to work or to whatever we do so that we're not just caught in our minds or our ideas and our beliefs or, our, or whatever and that we can give the best of ourselves, our heart and our soul and our, our intelligence and our creativity and our clarity and our understanding and our um, kindness and our fierceness, whatever's needed at work at any time. And so how can we really let the Dharma uh, express itself through us, even at something like work? <clears throat> and, and I'll give you some context about right livelihood. And I, I forgot to say this, but I like to say it about the word right. The word right, really the best translation of the word right for right view or right understanding or right, right speech or right action or right livelihood is what brings you in alignment with the truth? That's where it's right. Rightness has to do with coming in alignment with the truth. That's a very classic definition of the word right in the dictionary that's in alignment with the Buddhist understanding of the word sama, which is translated as right. And now in America more, it's often translated as wise understanding or clear understanding. but. I'm old-fashioned, so I like the word right. <clears throat> and so traditionally, right livelihood had, had to do with wealth gained in accord with one's values and virtue. And, and so then the subset of that would be that one made one's living or gained one's accord legally uh, peacefully, without coercion or violence, honestly, without trickery or deceit, and with, without any abusive or exploitative or harming relationships. Right? And so you can reflect for yourself, whatever your work might be, is it, uh, you know, is it done peacefully? Is it without coercion or violence? Or is it 
honestly done, right? To get to say what's true and not have to trick anybody or deceive anybody. And is it, um, uh, is it abusive or not abusive? Or is it exploitative or not exploitative? And traditionally there are five specific kinds of livelihood like that Buddhism says, don't do it this way. Here's the Buddhist don't do, which is <clears throat> um, don't deal in weapons. Don't deal in weapons. Don't deal in human beings, right? Meaning in slavery or prostitution, right? And so, and again, especially in the Buddhist time and place, these were radical for him to say that, that that was not okay, because those things, both slavery and prostitution, was very common in, in his place and time and era when he was alive. And he said, no, this is not... This is not uh, what brings us in alignment with what's true. He said, don't, don't deal in living beings, meaning in meat production right, or butchery. Don't, don't deal in poisons, right? Don't sell poisons. And also don't deal in intoxicants. And so that's the classic Theravadan, you know, here's what you don't do. You can kind of do anything else in a way that's in alignment with your principles and your values so that there's a harmony between oneself and one's actions and, and the world because practice is not just about oneself but it's about all of us together at the same time. <clears throat> This is from uh, Tartong Tulku. He said, um, it is our nature as human beings to be satisfied and fulfilled. Work gives us an opportunity to realize this satisfaction by developing the true qualities of our nature. Work is a skillful expression of our total being are means to create harmony and balance within ourselves and in our world. And I'm going to pause there because I think this is so important that's being pointed at because often people will think that practice is just about oneself and I want to wake up. And that's all, that's fine, that's a good intention, but it's not the end of the story because um, uh, as my friend Larry Young said in the name of his book, it's all about, ultimately, it's about awakening together, that we're here together, that there's no total freedom until we're all free, that the, if there's suffering, then we all suffer, whether we're aware of it or we're unconscious about it. In whatever form the suffering might be, even if it looks like, oh, it's over there and it's got nothing to do with us, we're here, we're here together in this world. And that togetherness is it's much more comprehensive than we're usually aware of. 
that the 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 uh, permeability of consciousness itself is so universal that to to not to think that suffering somebody's suffering doesn't have anything to do with us is quite it's a really um trying I'm looking for the right words to say this it's um it's a very young understanding it's not a mature understanding of reality because reality is much more um interconnected than we know or than we often perceive we're definitely all here together and he goes on to say work is a skillful expression of our total being our means to create harmony and balance within ourselves and in our world through work we contribute our energy to life and that's really that's the that's the unity that we're part of we're all an expression of one thing we're all an expression of life and you can just look around we're not the same and yet we're not different at the same time right you could look around you can see everybody's different different shape different gender different height different age different race different religion of origin different whatever it is uh, sexual orientation whatever we're all different and yet it's all life in these particular forms in these really what i would think i think of as beautiful forms meaning the uniqueness is beautiful how life it's like if we walked out among a, a forest and we expected all the trees to be the same and they're not and they're like different and yet they're all trees and so they they're they're the same and they're different at the same time and that that kind of understanding is what is pointed at about the um um the unity that we're part of as human beings <clears throat> and so uh, he says through work we contribute our energy to life and this life has a oneness to it that I'm trying to point out a little bit right that we that we contribute our energy to life investing our body our breath our mind in creative activity and by exercising our creativity we fulfill our natural role in life and inspire all beings with the joy of vital participation it's a nice phrase vital participation and it's and it's something and we all feel it when we know it's happening right we all appreciate it when we feel like we're vitally participating and we don't actually like it when we're not vitally participating because it's part of as what he's saying is our, our this is part of our nature to contribute our energy into life itself because we are life itself right we're not separate from life and so we all become part of the stream of life itself and our work is one of the expressions of that <clears throat> and i love to hear what he says by exercising our creativity we fulfill our natural role in life and 
you know, I, I was thinking, you know, oh, maybe some people won't like that because they don't like their job or who they're working for, whatever it might be, because we all have difficulties with work, especially in this time and place and culture. Um, and maybe it's always been that way, but it used to be much more collective in villages or in cultures that weren't so um, individualistically oriented, but were more collectively oriented, whether it was tribal culture or, or yeah, mostly tribal culture in, in many different parts of the world, whether it be in Asia or Africa or even Europe originally, tribal culture was, that's how human beings related. And so you were all working together they're, the tribe worked together, and you knew you worked together. And and I'm wanting to just say a word or two about creativity because I'm often surprised when I'm doing something I don't want to be doing when I'm working in some way. That that when my creativity comes alive, it doesn't matter whether I want to be doing the job or not. Something good is happening because creativity has lit up. And the creativity could just be like here, I'm, you know, I work at home a lot and uh, meet with people at home or write at home or organize. I do a lot of admin stuff these days at home. And, uh, and uh, so part of, and I've worked at home a lot in my life. It's been one of my preferences when I was young and I was a musician I repaired musical instruments and I always had my shop in my home and so I worked at home and so I always so when I think about work it means my whole house which means cleaning up and so if my house is not particularly clean it's a pain in the butt because I have to be there all the time so I would rather it was clean. So sometimes I'm, part of my work is before I start work work, I have to clean up a little. So then when I walk out of work, it's calm or steady or, or it's not cluttered. It's not, it's not like, oh, there's more to do, right? But that doing is done. And, and I'm not a particularly big guy on cleaning up. Like that's not my life's ambition to clean up. But when I get creative about it, or a little interested in it, and, and have a little fun with it, whatever it is, it's good. Because something else comes alive, is alive right here, and I'm pointing at myself. And that aliveness, that's the Dharma. And I have to admit, I'm going to say this, it's not quite exactly on topic, but it's something. But I have a lot of good fortune in my life. Part of my good fortune is I live next to Golden Gate Park. And so I walk in the park a lot. That's one of the things I do. Like I'll get up early in the morning and walk in the park. I walk at night a lot in the park after dinner and stuff like that. Um, but what, one of the, but so, so it's my park is how I feel, you know, but it's not mine, but it is mine. 
right? It's just like this group. It's not my group, but it is my group, and it's the same for you. It's not your group, but it is your group, right? And so, and so what I've noticed is how now I, when I'm walking and there's trash around, I pick it up in the park and I carry it around with me on my walk until I find a trash can. And that was like not my thing for many years. I was like, you know, let the people clean up, clean up the park. I don't want to be cleaning up the park, but it's actually my park. And really, if, if I get a little more awake, I would do that, I might do that, let me say it more accurately, I might do that anywhere, because really it's, it's our world. The whole thing is ours. And if, when the more we know that and then live that, then our work becomes creative wherever we are. It's not limited to the idea, oh no, that's not mine, or they should do that, or you know, maybe they should do it, but if they're not doing it, then I'll do it. Because it, I feel better when the park is clean, right? And I assume other people might appreciate it also. But it's not, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it because it's what needs to happen one way or another. <clears throat> so now I'll go on with the talk. <laughs> so important principles of work are about not harming and using one's work to wake up whatever one's work might be. How can you reconstruct it from the inside? And I'll give you some ideas I have about one, what one wants to bring to work in order to make it 24-7 practice. So, are you being aware at work? Right? And are you being aware of yourself, your feelings, thoughts, perceptions, sensations, ideas, your view, your intention at work, right? Try that for one day. Are you also being aware of the other people you work with or you serve at work in whatever way? Or, or who are employed by you if you're a boss of some kind? Then are you aware of their, how they are, what's going on for them? Are you sensitive to the aliveness that's in you and in other people, right? So you bring your awareness, your attention, your sensitivity to work, your heartfulness. Are you being real at work? Because it's very important to be real. And can you be real in a way that's not harmful, that's kind, that's helpful, and that's real? Meaning, sometimes you have to be tough at work if you're leading other people or needing to do something that's difficult to do. But can you be, I don't know if tough's one word, or fierce sometimes, but can you do that in a kind way also? And, and again, can you keep reflecting, are you applying the principles of non-harming or giving oneself when we act or behave or speak, right? So those are also parts of the path. 
you see how the path gets woven into work in terms of right action or right speech or what one's view is or what one's intention is when one is working. This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's a friend and one of my favorite monastic people in the world. He said, Buddhists recognize that acquiring wealth is one of life's fundamental activities, and the Buddha gave many teachings on the way to acquire wealth. Right? Like that was like cool with the Buddha. It was okay. But he always stressed the purpose of wealth is to facilitate the development of highest human potential. The purpose of wealth is to facilitate the development of highest human potential. In Buddhism, there are said to be three goals in life, the initial, the medium, and the ultimate goal. And the initial goal for, for work is reasonable material and reasonable material comfort and economic security. And so this is basic for all of us. We all need to take care of ourselves, you know, to a certain degree, you know, and hopefully that means we have food and clothing and, uh, and a shelter and things like that, right? And then he says, um, and that becomes the foundation for the higher two, uh, the medium and the ultimate goal, which are slightly more abstract, he said, but they're still goals. And so the second goal is mental and physical well-being. You know, that it's not just our body, but really wanting our hearts and minds to be at peace. And that's part of what our work is for. And then the last one, he says, is about inner freedom. That that's what, why we're working, for it to support our own inner freedom, to support our own awakening. <clears throat> and I so appreciate that's woven into the Buddhist teaching, because often people think or project that it's a monastic practice and that's how it's, you know, that came down through the monastics. But this came from the Buddha himself, right? And so, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. He always said he was teaching the fourfold Sangha of nuns, monks, and then householder women and householder men. The fourfold Sangha. And that's who he always taught. And right livelihood is part of the path is so key, right, for people who are not monastics. And it's got a different import for monastics, which is they don't, they don't uh, have anything, right? And they don't work in the traditional way, but they don't also get to own anything or keep anything. And it's a radical practice to do that and beautiful, powerful practice, but it's not the only way to practice. And politically, the Buddha was uh, sophisticated, right? He states that poverty is the source of immor immorality and crimes. Poverty is the source. He looks at the causes of condition, 
for why people are having problems that we call crimes, such as theft, falsehood, violence, and hatred. He's, and he goes on, kings tried to suppress crime through punishment. And in uh, Kutadanta Sutta, the Buddha says that this method can never be successful. Can never be successful. This is so important. I mean, it's so true. It was true at the time of the Buddha, it's true at our time. Kings tried to suppress crime through punishment, and, and the Buddha said it can never be successful. He suggested to eradicate crime, the economic condition of people needs to be improved. That people need to have a basic level of feeling secure, or supported, or cared for, so they can take care of themselves. And that's just, that's a societal, um, I'm looking for the right word, societal injunction, societal standard, a societal need that um, capitalism doesn't deal with. It doesn't, it doesn't relate to it. it. It always wants, you know, if you, if you can't afford something, it's your fault, right? And so we pay for health, we pay for education, we pay for all this stuff, which many countries, that's what the government does. It provides those things for people. But we're very um, uh, egocentric in especially America and the United States. And so we're very, uh, we think only our way, the only right way is our way. And so we're doing it right. And all those countries that you know, that provide health care for people, all that is just ridiculous. But the pharmaceutical industry is one of the tragedies of our time and place. And there's a, there's a documentary you could see, and here, I'm, I'll be totally honest, I'm gonna, I'm pushing it a little, because my son-in-law was part of the uh, making of it. Uh, but it's called Pharmaceutical Thugs. And it's, it's good, because it's just shocking how much money. I mean, it's just all about money, and that's not what health is about. And it's, it's a tragedy that we're bound to those kind of values that are not the values that I want to live with. That's not, you know, I, we're all here together. Let's take care of people. And it doesn't mean we don't want everybody to work. Yeah, everybody works, does their thing. But school, how much does it cost to go to college now? I mean, I don't, you know, my daughter's long out of college, so I don't know. But it's not cheap, right? Does anybody have an idea? What does it cost to go to that? It could that? be 50, 60, 70, 80,000. A year? Yes. At 50, 60, 70, 80,000 a year. I mean, is that, I mean, that's obscene, really, to me. And uh, of course, this is not the Buddha speaking, this is Eugene speaking, but Eugene's good about a few things. And really, it's totally obscene that education costs so much. And then these people are bound to that debt for so long. Anyhow, okay, I'll keep going. So, 
The Dalai Lama said, we are visitors on this planet. We are visitors on this planet. We are here for a hundred years or so at the very most. During that time, we must try to do something good. We must try to do, remember verg means to do. During this, that period, we must try to do something good, something useful with our lives. If you contribute to other people's happiness, you will find the true meaning of life. <clears throat> and then the last quote from the Buddha, he said, the wise who are trained and disciplined shine out like beacon lights. The wise who are trained and disciplined, meaning who study the Dharma and live the Dharma, shine out like beacon lights. They earn money just as a bee gathers honey without harming the flowers. They earn money just as a bee gathers honey without harming the flowers, and they let it grow as an anthill slowly gains in height. With wealth wisely gained, they use it for the benefit of all. And it is, I'm just riffing here a little bit, it is one of the things that I always appreciate about people who made a lot of money, which there are people making just ginormous amounts of money these days who are then turning and using it to do some good things. And, you know, it's people in tech or whoever making this obscene amount of money, you know, but then they're using it for hospitals like General Hospital got a lot of help from Mark Zuckerberg and I like General because I've spent time in there as a patient and it's just a great hospital. and. And so I appreciate when that happens, when they use it for the benefit of all, because however much money you ever make, I can promise you, you won't take it with you when you leave, right? It's, it's just not gonna happen. And it won't matter to you even the money when you leave, It'll, it's just money. So, okay, I'm just, Stop here. I want to hear any thoughts, comments, questions, talk about work, right livelihood, anything you like, didn't like. Please come on up. And yeah, turn that around and speak into the mic and please say your name. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, Jim. Thank you for the talk. You started beginning by saying something about burning yourself up. Oh, yeah. Suzuki. I don't know about that. I'm going to say a little bit and maybe you can react to it. Um, the only way I can think to do that is uh, it's either John Muir, Gifford Pinchot, or somebody. And they write about being careful not to burn yourself up. This is a, a long-term effort. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to be able to step back and enjoy these places and just cel celebrate them. And so I'm just, I'm, I, sure. I feel tension there in what yeah, you said. Yeah, no, great question. Uh, as I hear it, there's, there's different ways the, 
metaphor of burning oneself up is being used. And, I, and what I hear in what the uh, conservationist is saying is don't waste yourself, mm -hmm. right? Don't burn yourself up that way because you're needed long term. It's like um, somebody needs a little help there, Patrick. Yeah, and, um, and, um, and it's like, it, you know, I could say the same thing about parenting. Don't burn yourself up being a parent because it's a long-term deal, you know, and it's, you, you want to be, and so it means you do the best you can, but you also take care of yourself while you're doing it so you're good for tomorrow and next week and next year, and et cetera. What Suzuki Roshi is pointing at when he says burn yourself up, here, I'll read you the quote again if I can find it. When you do something, you should burn yourself up completely like a good bonfire, leaving no trace of yourself. He's pointing at the non-self component of Buddhism. Like, and he would talk about it this way, because he, in Zen and Suzuki Roshi specifically would talk about small sense of self and big sense of self. And so you're not doing it to, uh, and, uh, to blow up your ego and aggrandize yourself. You burn yourself up, you give yourself completely to doing it so that there's a purity to what's being done. And that purity, he would say, has to do with the big sense of self or the Buddha nature and letting Buddha nature to function because you're not doing it. You're getting your small sense of self is getting burned up in the giving yourself completely to it. But he would still say, oh yeah, he, you know, he said, Dharma is so serious that, uh, Dharma is so um, important, you shouldn't take it too seriously, right? And it's the same thread as the first one you were talking about. Oh yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't practice Dharma so much that you, you end up burnt up in that way but give yourself fully and see what happens when you give yourself fully, moment by moment. Thank you. That's very helpful. Great. No, it's a great, great question, because it is. It's an easy confusion one can make. Good. Thank you. Please. No, it's, it's a great question, but it's a bigger societal question 
of our whole capitalistic system. And you know, it's like, because that's the, that's the primary goal of capitalism is you make as much money as you can. And then, you, that, you know, as, as if that's going to make you happy. And so it's not the goal of Buddhism, right? And so, you know, and I have, uh, when I, and I, I don't remember why I was saying that I don't, uh, that I didn't have prejudice against capitalism. What did I say? You said, I don't have anything against capitalism. Uh -huh. Right. I mean, it was like a year ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've changed radically since then. No, no, and it's like, actually, I just think capitalism is, um, it's, you know, it's just a system, right? And then how one uses a system is really the question. And so I've seen people be very moral, virtuous, and kind, and, and awake with capitalism. But mostly, I don't see it inherent in the capitalistic system, which is like, you give as much as you can, and then you're in the power. And, and I've just seen so much, in, you know, historically, it's just, you know, obscene what's happened because of capitalism. And even if I just look at what the Buddha said, right? Don't deal in weapons, don't deal in humans, don't deal in living beings and poisons. That's all about capitalism, why people are doing that. All about capitalism. It's all, I want more money, so I want more power. So I want, you know, whatever it is, weapons or, you know, etc. So, I, and, you know, and let me uh, be honest. I mean, I come from a radical left background. And, you know, I was not into capitalism when I was young at all. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I would have been interested if the whole system would have changed, but it didn't. And so this is what we have. So then the question is, how do you wake up here and let that awakening keep uh, manifesting in, in a capitalist system? That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But it's and then. So, what do you do with that? What do you do with which? With, um, I guess, trying to hold hold the view that you're operating in that system, right? But at the same time, you're not in alignment with that system, right? So well, it's but how do you operate if you don't want to? Well, you have right. power and control. You have to make some money. That's true. Right. And then how you use whatever power or control you might have, right? That's something. And then, and again, this is where all the components of the path become so important. Like, what's your intention for having power? You know. And uh, uh, go ahead. So it's like. Yeah, align with yourself within the system. Yes. Basically. Yeah, basically. yeah. Right. And then, and even change the system. And we have to change the system. But I'm more patient about system being changed because I wasn't so patient when I was younger. And I did all kinds of things, including um, things that were a little outside the law and, um, or big outside the law sometimes. But, uh, you know, the real change um, 
boy, it's just slow. Human, this is my view, human beings are very slow to mature. It's a very slow evolutionary process to mature. And real maturity would, would mean some kind of just, you know, kindness and peace and real clarity that we're all here together. No matter what difference we have, we're all here together. And our enemies, our so-called enemies, are we're all here together. Whoever it might be who we consider other. I just was given a nice book by Toni Morrison, who's a really wonderful American writer, and she wrote a book called, um, I, I don't know if I have the name exactly right, um, The Creation of Others, right? And I haven't read it yet, but just, just what she's pointing at was how did the, or others or otherness, how did that come about? Because that wasn't always here everywhere. And different, you know, human beings, in my view, are very slow to evolve and mature. Go ahead. So, uh, I guess what I'm taking away is first you have to follow your intention and come into alignment within, in yourself, before falling into alignment with the system. Well, yeah, I think that's really important, and I don't think you have to stay in alignment with the system, but you may need to use the system because that's what's here. So here I'm going to give another example of somebody who I liked very much when I was growing up, which was um, Malcolm X. And Malcolm X was a black man and was dealing with living in a world of America, of racism, and he uh, had been in jail and got out and uh, aligned with uh, religion and became very involved in it. And, um, and, uh, and, and then at some point he kept seeing what was true for him, right? And what was true for him brought him a little in disagreement with the way the religion was being run. And so then he left the religion and he went, he went uh, to the source of where the religion originally came from, which was in the Mideast, and he learned more about the religion, and, he, and he, so he deepened his own personal religion, but he kept seeing what was true for him, and so what did he need to do in order to live a real life? And he kept living a real life, and he kept evolving in a way that was too radical for most people in that time, which is why I believe he got shot and killed. And that's not uncommon. And the people who are in the foreground of maturity get killed because they're a threat to the people who are not so mature. So, and, and it's really our call for all of us to keep, in my language, growing up and seeing how do we want to live in this world together because we're all here together. And I'm not saying we do that out of guilt. We do that because we want to be free. And if we want to be free, we all have to be free. Okay? Okay. Thank you. So we're at the end of our time, so we're going to stop here.
Let's just sit for a minute before we end. And a lot of words and good, good ways of reflecting and contemplating together. Appreciate everybody's thoughts and questions. and appreciating our good fortune that we can be here together this night today and when I and I'm just and with these particular people who will never be here again in this actual group ever and so appreciating our good fortune that we have the time and place and friends who are interested in waking up so that we could study the Dharma together tonight. And hoping that our good fortune goes out in every direction, above, below, to every direction. May all beings share in this good fortune. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, from the suffering that can come in any system, capitalism or communism or whatever it might be, free of this, the dukkha of the suffering that comes when we're not mature, when we don't, when we don't see that we're here together as human beings wherever we come from, whatever country or culture or religion or race or whatever gender or sexual orientation or economic means. May all beings be free from suffering, free from confusion, free from misunderstanding. May all beings awaken May we all wake up and discover our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. May all beings be free. your homework. Here, here, here's your homework. This week, if you're working, when are you wholeheartedly engaged in your work and when are you not wholeheartedly engaged in your work? Just reflect on that during your work this week, wherever you are. And your work doesn't have to be work for money. It could be whatever the work in your house or whatever the work might be. Work in your community, 
When are you wholeheartedly engaged in your work and when are you not wholeheartedly engaged in your work? And then at the end of each day, reflect on that and consider what supports your wholehearted engagement and what gets in the way of your wholehearted engagement. What obscures it or blocks it? Okay, that's the basic thing. A little reflecting day by day about work and your engagement with it. And then one more thing, and you can, this is an add-on if you want. What would it be like to be more generous or give more in the context of work? And by give more means give more of your heart or give more of your time or give more of your intelligence or give more of your intent, attention or whatever it might be. Is there any way you could give yourself more to work? Okay, that's it. Thank you. See you next week. If you can spend a few minutes helping uh, straighten up, we'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.